Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from Out of Ashes Ministries in Southwest Louisiana. Hey, how are you this week? I hope everybody is doing well. Everybody is doing good. Hey, this is the second week in a row that we have a new episode <laughs> after. Oh, listen, listen, you guys. I talked about it a little bit last week and uh, apologized profusely, and I'll continue to do so at just how inconsistent uh, the Image Bearers Radio episodes have been uh, these last few weeks. But man, it has been absolutely insane. It's been absolutely insane. I know it has been probably where you are as well. Uh, you know, first COVID, uh, but that wasn't really a big deal for us because, you know, we can record and then we can upload stuff and it's all good. Uh, but then we got Hurricane Laura that just raffle stomped us uh, here in southwest Louisiana. And uh, so that was a thing. And then as we're just kind of getting back to normal, then Hurricane Delta decides to make its way through. Uh, just really just right over the same area that Laura did. Uh, and so the first storm was, I don't know, for us personally was uh, almost two weeks without power. Uh, and then Delta was another week, a little over a week, maybe something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. I have, I, I haven't slept much since then, but a little bit. Uh, and then of course all the, you know, the COVID stuff and, and, uh, all the elections and everything coming up. Um, it's a, it's a really tumultuous time for a lot of people. And, uh, so I just apologize for not being super consistent, but we're back on track and uh, barring another uh, massive storm that knocks the power out or something, uh, which we are watching one in the Caribbean right now. So please, please, if you believe in prayer, please offer up a prayer to the heavens, to the Father, um, that this storm would just dissipate. And we don't want it to be sent anywhere else, uh, but we really, Louisiana doesn't need another lick. So we covet your prayers uh, for this late, late winter storm, kind of historically late. Uh, fall, autumn, whatever you call it, storm. We don't really have those seasons here in Louisiana, but uh, a late season storm that's coming up into the Gulf. So um, so thank you guys for sticking it out. I, I appreciate you coming back and listening and sharing these episodes and all the feedback and all the comments and uh, and all those things. It makes this community thing worthwhile. Um, I've said often, like, if it's just me talking behind a microphone, big deal. That doesn't, that that's no good for anybody. Uh, but the community, you guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, are what make this... Um, you know, a thing uh, as you share it, and you kind of use these things that we talk about as a jumping off point for your own conversations and your own thoughts. Um, that's what's really, uh, really super, super important. So uh, if it's your first time listening, hey, welcome. Uh, again, my name is, is Joe. I'm fortunate enough to pastor uh, a great congregation in uh, southwest Louisiana called Out of Ashes Ministries. 
And uh, if you're if your first time listening to uh, IBR, uh, then this is uh, just a place kind of to discuss biblical nerdy stuff and uh, to kind of turn the diamond, as it were, and see different facets of Scripture um, and uh, and think about things, faith, God, the world in a new and exciting way. Uh, and don't don't get nervous at the word new. That doesn't mean we're going to depart from uh, biblical understanding. Uh, we're going to maybe challenge some some traditional ideas, maybe some traditional uh, evangelical ideas and things, because that's where I come from, uh, and, and, but we're going to uphold some of those things. So it's just a great conversation, and, uh, and, and I really enjoy this every week. Uh, if you're looking for a Sabbath congregation uh, and you're in the southwest Louisiana area, uh, then we'd love to have you come hang out with us, uh, come try us out, as uh, church folks used to say, and uh, just come visit. We'd love to get to know you, and uh, just to let you know that there is a, a Sabbath keeping feast keeping, uh, you know, clean eating group uh, here in this area. And uh, if you're out across the country or other countries where you might be listening, uh, we live stream our services every Shabbat morning at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, here in the States and uh, here in the middle of the country. And so we live stream to our website, which is outofashesministries.org. We also live stream to Facebook. Uh, and if you're on Facebook, come jump in the comments, say Shabbat Shalom, tell us where you're watching from. And then we also simulcast to YouTube for those of you that like to uh, put stuff up on your TV and, and can watch there in your comfort of your home. And uh, we're just so thankful for all of our live stream family and uh, and everybody that the Father has brought into our path. We are excited. For those of you guys who are normal listeners, again, thank you for your patience. And uh, as we kind of get our schedule back to some type of normalcy, um, before we get into today's episode, uh, as we're recording this, uh, elections are coming up, presidential, senatorial elections are coming up here in the States. And um, we don't get super duper political as far as which side or pick a side or any of that kind of stuff uh, on this, this program. Uh, I do believe that the Bible is a very political book. Um, I don't think you can really separate the, the stories of Scripture from their political counterparts um, because, you know, it's about kings and rulers and nations and, and all these kinds of things. And so we've talked about that a, a little bit in previous episodes. Um, so I just suffice all that to say that uh, I, I hope that you are going to get out and vote. Uh, I, it's, you know, whichever way you vote, that's between you and God and, you know, and your own, uh, your own beliefs and, and values. But I hope you get out and vote. Uh, this is going to be an incredible election. There's so much excitement around it. And uh, I, I hope you exercise your right uh, to vote because it's very important. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the culture that we want to live in is at stake, right? Whichever, whichever side you choose to be on. So uh, we pray for, you know, elections that everything would be smooth and safe. And uh, we pray for, you know, after the elections that things would wrap up quickly and that it would be clarity in the decision and uh, that, you know, communities would be, would be safe and uh, that we could move on as a, as a country, as one united people. Because this is a great, great, great blessing to live in this country. All right, so this week's episode, uh, we are going to kind of review the, the, the discussion we had last week on Matthew. There's kind of a flyover view as we get into the Gospels. And then we're going to get into Mark, and we're going to fly over Mark and just kind of give a summary of who Mark was, what his gospel is all about, and I think there's going to be some really interesting things that we're going to discuss. But before we do that, let's go to the Father in a moment of prayer. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in heaven. God, we are so humbly grateful that we get to enjoy 
your calling on our lives. And Father, help us never to take for granted that we are your children and that you have a wonderful, beautiful love for us and a plan and a destiny. Help us to walk it out with fidelity in Yeshua's name. So uh, moving on from last week's discussion, or we're going to kind of recap last week's discussion because I think it's important. Uh, We have come a long way since IBR began and starting in the book of Genesis in the beginning where you would naturally think you would start anytime you're reading a book, any old book. And we are not just reading any old book. We are reading the living word of God. And so it's important that we start at the beginning and we hear what Hashem wants us to hear. So we've come a long way. We finally reached the gospels. And let me just say a quick kind of programming note or a reminder um, that these IBR uh, episodes uh, loosely follow our Shabbat, our weekly Shabbat teachings. So if you want a different, and they're not always the same, of course, because when you're, when you're up teaching in front of a group, you know, there, there's different things that, that the Father has you say sometimes, and then when you're sitting behind a microphone, things change sometimes. Not change, but just the wording is a little different, or maybe a new thought comes up or something that we will pull out and discuss. So uh, if you're interested in any of these topics, I would encourage you to go to our website and to look under the Gospel series or the Genesis series or the Lessons in the Desert series or the Silent Year series, any of those that we have posted, and you can hear the teaching from uh, the Sabbath uh, that, we, that coincides with these, uh, these shows. The weeks are a little bit off. We're a few weeks behind uh, here on IBR, but um, that would just be another kind of thing to help kind of add and, add and round out the discussion. So last week we are, began our approach of the Gospels, and uh, we're, we're kind of being laborious and taking our time to approach the Gospel accounts. Uh, and I know for some people it may be kind of like, you know, come on, get on with it. You know, let's get, let's get, to, get to getting. Um, but here's the thing, the Gospels are uh, just unbelievably important, right? And so it's, it's important because of their standing and because of the, what the Gospel accounts are about. It's important that we don't just rush it uh, and that we read it with a, a fresh set of ears uh, and a fresh set of eyes and that we, we listen for different things, things that we may not have ever, um, ever heard before. And so it, it's really important that we approach the Gospels f- with a fresh set uh, of thoughts and, and, and perspective. And as I've asked you to do a few times before, this has been helpful for me, kind of a mental exercise is as we talk about the Gospels, um, it's, it's going to be important to try your best to kind of take your preconceived notions and your preconceived understandings, even if those, I'm not talking about church understandings, you know, from 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm talking about maybe even Hebraic understandings that you have kind of come across as you've begun to learn Torah and heard other gospel teachings from other Torah teachers, uh, you know, Hebrew roots, Messianic teachers, even those things. Let's kind of take all that stuff and shelve it just for a little bit. We're not, we're not getting rid of anything. We just want to take those preconceptions and we want to store them. Um, I, I know that I, you know, I've listened to several teachers that I've, I've thought, man, they've got it. This is the message. And yet I study more and I read more and I pray more and I ask the Father for, for new, you know, new revelation, new inspiration, and he turns the diamond for me. And so 
Um, those things weren't are not bad. They're, you know, they're not wrong even. Uh, they're just the word of God and the life of Yeshua is so much deeper than one understanding. And uh, and so I want to ask you to kind of shelve those things uh, for a little bit while we talk through this and and give room for this new information or this kind of new way of, of looking at things. I think that's the most helpful way to approach the gospel. So uh, we we talked about the gospel of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. And, uh, you know, euangelion, the Greek, uh, evangelion, where we get evangelism or evangelist uh, or evangelical, all those words come from this idea of good news. And what is the good news? Um, well, a more kind of reformed approach, Calvinist approach, would be that the good news is Jesus died on a cross. He was in the grave for three days and three nights, and he rose again to resurrection, and that is the gospel, right? And that he paid for our sins, and that we are made righteous through him, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Personal salvation, that is, uh, that is the gospel. And yet you have writers like N.T. Wright and, and those in his camp um, that have a, a little different take on what the gospel is, what euangelion is. And I tend to lean towards, uh, towards that understanding a little bit more as in a kingdom gospel. Yeshua preached the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and using different, different phrases and different ways to describe it, but a kingdom. And, and a, a, that, that type of gospel message does not diminish, it does not diminish the work of Yeshua on the cross. It does not, on the, on the stake. It does not diminish that. If anything, it amplifies Yeshua's work as the, the, the way, right? The way into a completely new reality. Um, and so we're going to be talking about, you know, it's this new reality as we go through these accounts, especially as we start to dig into Matthew. So, um, after our kind of our gospel overviews. And so we talked about euangelion being the, the gospel, being a pro- proclamation of a new king and a new kingdom. Yeshua being the new king, the new kingdom being a, a, a new set of, a new culture, a new set of values and, and all those things. And I think we mentioned this last week, but you know, we're, we're, uh, we're coming up on an election and there's a there's a lot of division in our country right now. There's a lot of a lot of tent, uh, you know, uh, it's very tense um, tension, and, and there's a lot of of back and forth and and right and wrong and you know some anger and you know some some anxiety over what's going to happen. But really, we're not really really when you get down to the heart of it. I, in my opinion, we're not really voting um, for a man, as in. We're not our 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 differences from others, or the the you know the separation we have from others, maybe even our family, is not really about a man. Our separation and our and our anxiety and our our you know our discourse and our disagreement is really about the culture that we are fighting for. And if you're on the left, you're fighting for a certain type of America. And if you're on the right, you're fighting for a different type of America. And so we're really fighting for for a culture. Um, and it, those two cultures are, are, you know, however you think about that, are represented by, in our case, two different men running for president. And so it's really the, the culture that we believe America should be that we're really fighting for. And I think you hear that when you hear the, you know, the discourse on both sides. So this, this pronouncement of euangelion as a new king, as a new president, there's going to be a new way of doing things, right? So we can kind of understand and relate to this, this idea. Uh, we talked about the last week, the big word in the Gospels is going to be agenda, 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 agenda. And that may kind of strike you and it may make, it may kind of poke at you a little bit, uh, you know, and make you feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. 
we have to realize that all of Scripture did not fall from heaven in one finished, completed golden book, right? That, that Hashem chose men and women to speak to them and to inspire them. And then he gave them the authority to write down and to communicate what his message was. And so as Dr. John Walton says, the authority of Scripture is in the author, And that doesn't take authority away from God. God gave his authority to the authors. And so we have to respect the author's intent. We have to to respect the author's language, the author's audience, um, the author's background. Uh, and and their perspective, you know, the lens which they view life through and view God through. We have to respect the authority that God gave to the author. Um, and, and so that's a really, that's something you may have to kind of think about and squirm over a little bit. Um, but I, I think it's accurate and I, and I think it changes and helps us to, to mine the word for a, a little bit more. So each of the Gospels, we have one Gospel story. Uh, the Gospel is the new king and the new kingdom. Uh, as we enter uh, the kingdom through the sacrifice and through the offering of Yeshua, of his life, and his resurrection, and our participation in that resurrection. And so we enter this kingdom, and we have allegiance to the king. And so we are expected to hold a certain set of values and a certain culture based on the constitution, which I believe is the Torah. And so the way that gospel is presented is, is for, according to four different authors, and each author has an agenda. So in Matthew, we said that Matthew was a Jew, and he was writing to Jews. But Matthew was a, a, an interesting study in, in Jewish uh, dynamics because Matthew was a tax collector. Um, he's he's not the he's not the cantor, right? He's not the he's not a rabbi uh, that's you know faithful to upholding the Pharisaic doctrine or the whatever. He's a tax collector. He's as Jewish as the day is long, from what we know. Probably you know observant at some level, and yet he works for Rome, right? He works for the oppressor. And so we looked at Matthew's genealogy that he opens with, very Jewish way of opening uh, an introduction to Jews, you know, to your, to your fellow brethren. And we looked at the, the theme or the agenda of the Mamzer, M-A-M-Z-E-R, the Mamzer. And that, that technically Mamzer is a, a bastard child, um, but really I think in Matthew's gospel, it's ex- that, that idea is expanded to mean anybody on the outside, anybody who is not accepted for whatever reason. Um, and, and we see that even beginning right off the bat in Matthew's uh, genealogy. And uh, so Matthew is a, a beautifully written gospel, and the one that we're going to come back to and kind of work through Yeshua's life uh, is through Matthew. So we looked at the genealogy, and we're going to see as we walk through Matthew this mums or theme, this this idea that you know for the religious leaders, those people that you say are out of covenant or out of the you know the the fellowship of Israel, um, those are the people that Yeshua actually is going to minister to and actually going to give hope to, and and you that are high and mighty and self righteous and that you think you're in, uh, you know, and you're your buddy buddy pal pal and close to God, you're actually the one that has that's at the risk of being cast out. And so it's, it's, it's phenomenal and it's awesome. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit more. This week, though, I want to talk about Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and there's, we won't get into it real, real deep, but you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion and opinion about what order the Gospels were written in. Um, you know, whether, and kind of the way I was always taught it, and I guess maybe the prevailing uh, scholastic opinion is, has been that Mark was written first. 
um, and that you know Mark's gospel is the shortest, right? And that's the one that we probably know the best and and uh, and read the most, you know, because I mean, if you're going to read the Gospels, gee whiz, you're going to read Mark because it's like 16 chapters. Boom! It's it, you know, you're you're begin reading it, and in a few minutes, you're done. Uh, and and it appeals to us for certain reasons that we'll talk about in a little bit. And and then so most traditional understanding is that well, then Matthew came along and used Mark's Gospel, and then kind of said, hey, man, you missed some stuff, and you added, you know, he kind of added in details. And then Luke comes along and goes, yeah, but you got stuff out of order, so we're going to clean this up a little bit. And then John's doing his whole thing all kind of all together. Um, and so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels, right? That's a word that you'll hear, synoptic gospels, meaning they work together to tell one, one uh, simultaneous story. Uh, they're, they're different aspects or whatever of, of one story. And I want to push against that a little bit. And I, I want to not read the gospels as, well, Matthew fits in here, Luke fits in here, Mark is saying this, and that's just a different perspective. But again, we want to look at each author as they have an agenda, that they're not necessarily playing off of another and trying to fill in the gaps to make one cohesive story. Because I think the Gospels themselves push against that very idea as we get into them, as we look at details. And it makes us nervous, right? It makes us a little nervous to go, well, this one says this, but this one says this. And we try to reconcile those things. And, and maybe the, the, and my belief is that the exercise should not be in, re, in reconciling the differences between the Gospels, but it should be listening for Matthew's agenda. Why does Matthew tell it like this? Why does Mark tell it like this? Why does Mark leave all this stuff out? And it seems to be that Matthew or Luke, this is, this is the stuff that they really want you to know. Why are these incongruencies, I guess we could call it, uh, conflicts, uh, you know, inconsistencies, whatever you want to call them. Um, they are not inconsistencies. They, they are there for a reason. The reason is because uh, they have different agendas. They, they are telling about the same Yeshua, the same new king, and the same new kingdom from a different point of view. All right, so we'll, we'll stop beating that dead horse. So Mark. Mark is very likely a, Mark is a Jew, okay? But he is writing his gospel to the Romans. He is writing his gospel to the Romans. So Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. Mark is a Jew writing to the Romans, and his gospel, the gospel according to Mark, we see this idea of it being short, which we talked about already, but it's not just short for shortness sake necessarily. Um, we have to go back and visit a conversation we had months and months and months ago, and most of you will be familiar with this idea of there being a difference between Hebraic thought and Greek thought, right? And so Hebrew is a, a, very much a, a type of word picture type of uh, communication. It's very much uh, Matthew wants you to dig for details. Matthew puts some women in his genealogy, and he wants you to ask why. Like, why are these women here? He wants you to go back and remember their stories, read their stories, and, and, and do some detective work. And he wants you to figure stuff out and be engaged and wrestle with the way he puts his gospel together. That's a very Hebraic, a very Jewish, a very Israelite a way of, of writing and communicating. It's about the search. It's about the digging, right? It's about finding the treasure up uh, down below the actual, you know, the literal text itself. Mark has a very different approach, in my opinion, because he's writing to a very different audience. The Romans, with their kind of Western, their Greek, you know, Greco-Roman mindset, are all about facts, 
just give me the facts, give me the, the lowdown, give me the skinny, give me the Cliff Notes version, and let's move on. We've got stuff to do. They just, the Roman culture, the Greek culture, um, approached life differently. They approached learning differently. They approached thinking about these things much, much differently. And so Mark, I believe his gospel is short for that reason. Um, because you're not going to hold a Roman's attention, you know, asking them to look at all these intricacies and, and they're probably not going to go on a, on a literary search or a, you know, a thematic search for all these things as you're telling them that your story, they want to know the facts, hit me with the, the bottom line and let's move on. And so Mark's gospel is not only just short, it's f- short, speak short, excuse me, because it's fast paced, because that is the way that his audience uh, understood things. That's the way that they communicated. And this is very, very, you know, we, we should be able to relate to this pretty easily. Um, how many of you, you know, started keeping Shabbat and one of the main questions or one of the feast days or, you know, eating or whatever, you started studying Torah and you're the question that just you lay awake night at night and think about is what is the right way, right? I wish I just knew the right way to do this. How, how do we, how do we figure out the right way? That's very Greco, that's very Roman of us, and that's the, the, the approach that Mark takes. I'm just going to give you the answers, and we're going to move through the story, uh, because I know you won't search it out for yourself, right, and go on the journey. So we'll pick up this right after the break. Be back in just a second. Ladies and gents, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio, talking about the gospel according to Mark. So Mark was a Jew writing to Romans. His gospel is short, but not because he was lazy or because he didn't have a lot of information, but it's because of his audience. He was tailoring his account. His agenda was uh, a Roman agenda. He wanted to uh, to show this new king and new kingdom to the Romans. Um, that's going to be really, really critical. Um, so it's fast-paced. It's the facts only. Um, we have to also, secondly, remember, kind of go back and remember the, the four pillars of Hellenism. And if you remember our discussion on, uh, on a series on the silent years, and you remember this discussion on Hellenism, you remember the four pillars uh, being uh, health care, education, entertainment, and athletics, right? Health care, education, entertainment, and athletics. The, the, uh, Alexander the Great basically conquered the world um, and, and kept the world in, uh, and influenced the world rather, and kept it in the, the Greek um, uh, influence by, by saying, listen, Rome, the empire, we're going we're gonna to educate you, right? We're going to teach you the Greek way of life because Greece is, the message of Greece is the euangelion. That's the, that's the gospel, right? Their life will never be the same after Greece is on the scene. And, and your participation in Greek culture will give you a life you've never even dreamed of, right? So that's the, that's the, the euangelion, the gospel of Alexander the Great. So we're going to teach you. We're going to educate you. Um, we're going to take care of your health care. We're going we're gonna to make sure that you're, you're safe and that you're, you're well taken care of. And if you need anything, you run to the empire and we will, we will take care of you medically. Um, uh, athletics. Listen, 
you know, your life, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a, an occupying nation. And so we know that life is going to stink a little bit. But you know what? Don't worry about it because we have this, this wonderful thing called athletics. And we're going to take your mind off of all that stuff. And so you can get away from your, from your measly, you know, occupied life, which, which Americans really don't know anything about. Uh, but you can get away from that and you can find some relief from that in athletics. And, uh, and, and, and in athletics especially, um, there's competition, right? And so you're supposed to be working together for a common goal if you're an Israelite, and that common goal is, the, is bringing the, the covenant, you know, bringing the God of Israel to the nations and being priests and kings. Um, and, but listen, we're going to do this competition thing. So it pits one against the other. Well, if we're fighting each other, then the empire can do whatever they want because we're not unified in our, uh, in our standing and in our community. And so we're distracted by, com- by competing with one another and we'll kind of lull to sleep while the empire does whatever it wants. And then lastly, uh, uh, theater or entertainment. And this is really where the kind of, you know, the oppression, uh, solution is that, listen, we're oppressing you and we know that it stinks and we know that we've moved some of you guys out of your homes and we've, you know, we've killed your family and all, but listen, we're going to give you theater and, and, uh, and all this, these things and, and just kind of take your mind off of it, right? It's not, you, you, we want to introduce you to this new Greek reality, which is, you know, which is all about being distracted from, from life's real issue, real issues in a sense. And so what we see Mark doing is we see him addressing all four of these these different areas. So in one in one portion of Mark's gospel, um, you know Yeshua is this wonderful teacher, and the crowds are amazed, you know, by his teaching. And so he is in in the education, the pillar of Hellenism of education. He's he's the best educator. He's the best teacher. He's the best orator that you've ever heard. And that's how Mark is presenting him to the Romans. Um, Yeshua, he will heal in Mark's, uh, in Mark's uh, gospel, right? He will heal. And so this idea of health care and the, uh, you know, the, the empire taking care of your needs and you being dependent on the empire for your health and longevity, Yeshua, Mark presents Yeshua as the greatest healer. He's the great healer, right? And so in, 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 um, in, in all of these different things, in, in competition and athletics, you know, we don't ever see like Yeshua kicking around a soccer ball or whatever, you know, whatever it was. But in his, in his uh, confrontation with others, he always comes out as on top. He always comes out the winner. He's the great victor. In every, in every part of Hellenism that Rome was lavishing and enjoying, Mark makes a, a, his agenda. His point is to present Yeshua as the, the victor. Right. And so the, he is speaking directly to this Roman culture and saying, listen, you you guys have this king. You guys have, you know, Caesar as king and, and Caesar doesn't isn't just king. Caesar becomes God in the Roman culture. And so you what I'm telling you is that there is a, a king that is greater than Caesar. Whoa, that's dangerous, dangerous territory. Um, and so he is always the victor. And a, a matter of fact, in, and I think it's in Latin, right? Is it Christus Victor? Um, I think I have that right. My, my Latin is just awful. So forgive me if I don't have that exactly right. Somebody can correct me. But this idea of, of the, he's the victor. He's the best. He's the, he's the one that's always going to come out on top. And so as we look into, uh, into Mark's gospel, we're going to see a really interesting and really cool pattern 
um, that Mark follows, especially towards the end of his gospel, where he is dealing with the, the, the trial and the death of, and the resurrection of Yeshua. We're going to see this victor theme carry along. So if Matthew's theme was the mumser, I would say that Mark's theme is the, is the victor. And so we're going to see this, this pass along. Now, we have records of uh, several uh, Caesars, Roman Caesars and emperors, coronation. Uh, their, their coronation where they are, uh, you know, they are crowned king and, and basically God um, of, the, of the nation. And we have record of several of these. And they're, they're, they're a little bit different, you know, here and there because each, each king has his thing. You know, just like each president has their own kind of inaugurational, uh, you know, spin. They have their own thing they're going to do. Uh, there's a kind of a skeleton and, and the way, quote unquote, the way it's done. But each president, as they come into office, they have their own kind of thing that they do that put their spin on it. And these emperors were, were no different. They wanted to stand out from any other emperor that had ever been. And because they were the new king and, and this was going to be a new Rome or a new Greece as they came on to the, to the scene, this was going to be an empire like you've never experienced ever before, right? And as Caesar is elevated to, to divinity, uh, to the standing of God, it, it, is, it is important that his coronation, that his uh, entrance and his elevation to Caesar and, and to divinity is, stands out among the, the rest of the, the crowd of Caesars and rulers that had come, had come before them. And Mark is going to brilliantly, brilliantly tap into this. He is going to, to just nail the Romans, and he's going to speak directly, directly to them. So when we talk about Mark as a Jew, well, what kind of Jew was he? Was he like Pharisaic? We talked about these five responses to Hellenism, right? We talked about Sadducees and Herodians, Pharisees, Zealots, and Essenes. And what kind of Jew was Mark? Well, it's very, very possible that Mark was actually maybe Herodian um, more than anything else because he knows Roman culture so well. He knows the Roman lore. He knows the Roman stories. He understands the way a Roman thinks. Thus, his whole gospel is is arranged to communicate directly and pointedly to that audience. And so that leads me to lean a little bit kind of Herodian uh, for kind of who Mark was, which means that he was, you know, he was still probably observant, um, you know, for the most part. And yet he had a really, a really unique and interesting insight into the stories of Rome. And so um, uh, this coronation uh, comes from one of the Roman emperors, and forgive me, it's not in my notes. Uh, I think I just talked about it from memory last time I taught this. Um, but this is from uh, one of the Roman uh, coronations. And so there were nine steps to this coronation. There were nine different phases that this uh, this festival and this, this celebration went through as the emperor was uh, was crowned. And so we're going to go through these real quick, and then we're going to jump into the actual text of, of Mark. So first off, in the, the beginning of the, the coronation ceremony, uh, the Praetorian Guard, Praetorian meaning the kind of inner close uh, soldiers and the, and the guard of the emperor, soon-to-be emperor, the Praetorian Guard gathers in a place called the Praetorium, right, which is a kind of an open courtyard kind of thing in the palace, uh, and they are they assemble to begin escorting uh, the new emperor or soon-to-be emperor uh, through the, the ceremony and through the processional. Uh, they place on, in step two, they place on the, um, on the emperor, they place on him royal robes, they place a, a wreath around his head, 
and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, that serves as a crown, the wreath that serves as a crown, and they put a scepter in his hand. Okay? And you can see this, and if you go back and Google, like, you know, Roman emperors, you, you see, or Greek emperors, you see the, the crown, the, uh, the leafy, you know, kind of wreath crown, uh, and the, the scepter and the royal robes. So they, they dress him basically for his royalty, for his, his ascension to uh, Caesarhood. That's not a word, Caesarness, uh, whatever, um, to the office of Caesar. And then they, they lead him on a procession through the city. Um, and this, this happens in Rome, right? This, this is the center of Roman life. This happens in Rome. So that's really important, the setting here. Don't think Jerusalem, think Rome. Um, they lead him on a procession through the city. And usually there are, uh, there's incense burning in the houses and the shops along the way. It's, it, there's flowers everywhere. It's a beautiful, you know, kind of celebration of this, of this new king. Uh, fourthly, uh, Caesar uh, is is followed by a sacrifice of his choosing. So it could be a ram, it could be a bull, it could be different, whatever it was. Uh, but it, he is followed by this sacrifice, this sacrifice to the gods. And so we, we see that in one hand, uh, in one hand Caesar has the scepter, right, which is the, the authority and the, the law-giving side of Caesar. In the other hand, he has the weapon of death for the sacrifice that is following him through this procession. So be it knife, whatever, bow and arrow, whatever it is. So in one hand, he carries the scepter. In the other hand, he carries the, the weapon of execution for the offering that is following after him through this procession. So they make the procession through the city. They're making their way to a place in Rome. Uh, Rome is known as the, is it the city on seven hills, I believe. Um, and the, the, the central hill or the most important hill in Rome is called Capitoline Hill. Capitoline Hill. And you can do a wiki search on this. It's really interesting. Capitoline Hill is the chief among the seven hills of Rome. They are leading him to Capitoline Hill. It's, it's the city center. It's where the temples are. It's where the palace usually is. It's, it's, the, it, you know, it's the big deal. It's the, it's the big hoorah. When he gets to Capitoline Hill, they are going to offer him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, let's take a little detour a little bit um, and talk about wine made with myrrh. Um, so can you remember a, a, a person we talked about whose family owned the spice trade of this, of, of the, the ancient Near East or of the, this, this area, right? Uh, runs through Israel, et cetera, et cetera. Do you remember that person's name? His name was Herod, right? Herod the Great, or as Ray Vanderlaan says, uh, Herod the Wicked. Herod's family owned the spice trade, right? So you can see this overlap between Rome and Israel and Israel's leaders, going, you know, beginning really with Herod, the Sadducees and Herod, uh, the Sadducees who brought Herod in. And so this wine mixed with myrrh is made in the area of, that Herod came from, Idumea Nabatea which is sort of today modern-day Jordan-ish. Um, and, and this wine is the best, most expensive, most incredible wine, highest quality wine on the face of the known world at this time. And so as Caesar gets to Capitoline Hill, he is offered this wine mixed with myrrh. And he does something really interesting. He refuses it. 
He refuses the, the most precious wine in existence in his day. He refuses it to show that he's Caesar. And even the best of the best of the best is still below him. That is, that is the power and the majesty that Caesar wants to instill uh, in his legacy and in the way people see him. So next he takes the offering, the animal that he has chosen, that has followed him through the possession, and he goes up to the, uh, up to the temple, uh, and he uh, is gathered around him by all, a bunch of criminals. They bring a bunch of criminals before him, and at random, he picks and says, you live, you live, you live, you die. You live, you die, you die, you die, you live, 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 die, die, live, die. He chooses these, the fate of these people, seemingly, like I said, at random, again to show that he is the one who holds the power of life and death. It is Caesar alone who, without a trial, without a court, without hearing advocacy on either side, he can step on the scene and say, I hold the power of your destiny in my hand. I can, I can give you a thumbs up and you can go about your business and live a long, happy life, or I can give you a thumbs down and your life is over. It is snuffed out in a moment. He has the power of life and death in his hand. So he approaches the temple with this, this animal after making these pronouncements of life and death. And he is joined by, on one side, the captain of the guard, the captain of the Praetorian Guard, the commander of his armies. And on the other hand, on the other side of him, he has the, the priesthood, uh, the, the leaders of the priesthood of, their, of his gods. And so he approaches the temple and he is acclaimed. They begin to shout to shout about him, Caesar, all hail Caesar, Caesar is God, all hail Caesar, Caesar is God. And he is acclaimed, and that acclaim starts with those that are closest to him and, and rushes out through the crowds, and people are waving, throwing flowers and, and waving you know, branches, and they're, they're celebrating, and there's mass, uh, you know, mass, mass excitement and celebration as they proclaim, all hail Caesar, Caesar is God. And they acclaim him to that station of not only ruler of, of Rome, but actually the, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. And then in, in most of these, they would look for a sign from heaven after the proclamation was made. They would look for a sign from heaven. In this particular one, and again, forgive me, I cannot remember who this, uh, this emperor was. It, my mind just went completely blank. But in this particular coronation... Um, the, the, the night of that, uh, coronation, there was a lunar eclipse. And so they proclaim him as God and they look for a sign in the heaven. They're all waiting and they're all watching. And there's, there's, you know, there's, there's all this expectation and this lunar eclipse happens proving or validating him as God and as the chosen ruler of Rome. Now what's, you know, what's really funny is that you think about Caesar and you think about, you know, his, 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 uh, his pedigree and where he came from and all, and knowing that he was going to be raised to be Caesar. You don't think he had maybe really smart people around him that said, Hey, um, look, we calculated that there's going to be an eclipse. There's going to be a sign, some sort of sign in the heavenly bodies at this date. So we need to do your court. We need to schedule your coronation here, right? It's kind of a smoke and mirrors thing, but 
the Romans bought into it wholeheartedly, and this is this is their way. And once they saw the sign, it was a mass eruption of celebration and proclamation. And you know, there's a we have a new emperor, and and he's ascended to the to the the level of deity, and and you know, and Rome the Great, uh, as they proclaim Caesar. So now I want to go to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 15, verse 16. So this is after uh, Yeshua's, or Jesus's um, trial before Pilate. This is actually after he stands before Pilate. And I want to read uh, starting in verse 16 of chapter 15 of Mark. And so kind of keep in mind the steps that we just went through. And remember that Mark is, uh, is, a, is a Jewish guy writing to Rome, right? Proclaiming the subversive gospel, the scandalous gospel of a new king and a new kingdom. So verse 16, the soldiers led Yeshua away into the palace. And in this, this is an NIV translation, uh, into the palace. And in parentheses, it says that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. So let's stop. Just, just stop one second. So you have this, this Jewish, you know, peasant from the Galilee, from the countryside, and they're calling together the entire, like the Praetorian Guard, the you know the most prestigious, um, you know, uh, military leaders, and the, and a whole company of soldiers in the middle of the night for this for this Jewish peasant, you know, by all accounts from the Galilee. What what in the world is going on here? Mark is framing, beginning to frame this this ceremony and this time in Yeshua's life in a very Roman. Roman way. And remember, they're not in Rome, they're in Jerusalem, right? So then we got to kind of switch settings a little bit. So verse 17, so they put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, hail king of the Jews. And again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. So here you have the Praetorian Guard, right? And they're dressing Yeshua in the in the, the robe and the royalty of Caesar. But the the robe and the crown is is the crown is not a, an olive crown, an olive leaf crown, it's a crown of thorns. And instead of giving him a step a scepter and, and, and putting it in his hand for the show of authority, instead they're beating him with it follows the coronation ceremony of, of these ancient uh, emperors to, to a T. And we're not going to skip any verses, guys, if you remember the, the steps we walked through. And then it says, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in front of the country, uh, from the country, rather, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Yeshua and to the place called Golgotha. And here it says, which means place of the skull. So, What's interesting here is remember in our steps of the, the, the coronation, you have the procession, right? We call it the Via Della Rosa, right? We, we, that, that procession that Yeshua uh, embarks on. And there's this man from Cyrene that takes the, 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 the instrument of death and the offering is following him. Yeshua being the offering that is following him. And they take him to a place called Golgotha. Now, you remember the name of the place that they took him in Rome? Capitoline which doesn't mean skull. Capitoline does not mean skull. Capitoline means head, like the, the top, the best, the, 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 the edifice, the, 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 you know, the, the most glorious place. 
interesting change. I'll let you kind of wrestle with that and think because we're going to run out of time here. Verse 23, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Ah, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see which they would get. It was nine in the morning when they, I'm sorry, another page, when they crucified him, the written notice and the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And they crucified two rebels, one on his right and one on his left. You remember the procession up to the temple, one on his right and one on his left? And so they, they go through, are you going to destroy this temple, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the Messiah, King of Israel, verse 32, come down and those who were crucified with him heaped insults upon him. And then verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Yeshua cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sambachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then some of those standing near heard this and they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And so then they give him, we're going to go on just real quick, the, the, the wine and vinegar, which is the least, um, the least uh, nice wine. You know, it's the, it's the poorest wine. Um, and then we find in verse 38 that the, 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 he, or verse 37, he breathed his last breath and the temple of the torn was, was rent. And then we know about the darkness that came over the land. So there's a sign from the heavens. So do you see how strategic and how incredible? I encourage you to go back and listen. And if you, you know, go back and, and write down these steps of the Roman coronation. And then read Matthew 15, uh, uh, 15 verse 16 through about uh, verse 30, uh, 34, 37, something like that. Through the end of that section. And you're going to see perfectly how Mark... Show, he's showing Israel, he's showing Rome rather, excuse me, he's showing Rome this new king, this new kingdom. And what a really, really terrible way to end this, to, to kind of start to wrap up Mark's gospel. But in, in chapter 16, we talk about the risen, the resurrection of Messiah. See, even here, even here at the end of the story, Mark is showing Yeshua to be the victor. He's not only the best teacher and the best, you know, orator and the best healer. He's not only the victor in all of those instances. He is the victor over death itself. He is the new king. Mark's gospel ends really interestingly, and we were going to run out of time, so I'm sorry. But we'll pick it up next week, and we'll talk about the ending of Mark, because there's a lot of debate over it. and something really interesting I want to bring to your attention. So until next week, shalom, shalom. Have a great one. We'll see you soon. 